Good morning. Did you know this about God? God loves to party. It's a true story. Did you know that? God loves parties. He loves celebration. It's all through his word. Did you know that? Now, it doesn't mean that we are all about parties. Sometimes we like to party, sometimes we don't. If, if you know me and my wife very well, you probably know who in the family is more the party-going person. Who would you guess? Lori, pretty easy. Just, yeah, pretty easy. My wife, when, when we're going to a party, the party begins at home before we even get in the car. She's moving. She's ready. She can't. It just energizes her. Everything about a party, just she loves it. She just feels it. She's excited before we even get going, right? And so she's like holding the family. Let's go. And we're all kind of being drugged behind her. She goes in. She goes right into the party. I'm the person that slips in the door and then goes, slinks down the back wall like this to the back seat where I can find the seat where hopefully, no, it's, you know, that's typically my thing. She's an extrovert. I'm an introvert by nature, by personality. But it's, it's kind of changed a little bit. Remember, um, I went through this uh, church planning residency last year, and uh, there, were, there were eight of us church planners from around the country. And one of the things that Fellowship Associates does so beautifully is they have a high value of celebration. They have a high value of fellowship. And so they provided financially for everything that we did, wherever we went, whatever we ate. And it wasn't the kind of thing where you had to really worry about what you're going to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but when we go to eat, I'm like thinking, I'm like trying to devise the most strategic budgeting, like, can we break our record of leaving here the cheapest people in the planet? That, that's kind of what my MO is. How do, we, how do we go, like, I'll give you an example. There have been some Saturday nights I've treated my beautiful wife to Black Angus. Some of you in Little Rock know what Black Angus is. Not necessarily the greatest steakhouse in the world, uh, but it's pretty cheap. Um, but when I went through the residency, one of the high values that they had was celebration. And so when we would sit down to eat, the kind of the conversation was, hey, enjoy yourself. You might want appetizer and a steak, and you might even want dessert. And all of a sudden, this amazing feeling of freedom came over me. I didn't have to worry about me affording this, right? And so it caused this amazing freedom in my own spirit to kind of be like, wow, I don't know what this is like. And so you really enjoy yourself. You have some amazing food. And when you're really enjoying yourself and you're really free, it allows you to enjoy other people. And then you're ha- all of a sudden I found myself a party person all of a sudden. I wasn't at the back table. Instead, I was enjoying fellowship with everybody else. I was enjoying kind of the, the situation, the fellowship together. And I'm learning. The more I learn about God, the more I learn about how much he values celebration. We're going to look at it through his word today. But I'm also learning more about me and how I need to learn to value celebration. Some of you go, yeah, that's not, no, not really my. Well, let me ask you this question. What are the moments in your life that you love to just laugh? You get around certain people and you just belly laugh, right? Apple pie coming out the nose kind of laugh. Those good kind of Thanksgiving, you know, holidays and those, those, those moments where you're with friends that you just those mo- wish those moments would never end. You know what I mean? That's celebration. And I promise you at the end of our lives, we won't look back on our lives and think about all the rules or think about all the work. We'll think about those moments that we laughed, belly laughs, and we cried real tears, and we loved so deeply and so well, and we drank deeply 
of the fellowship of each other. Those will be the moments that we remember. Those will be the ones that, that really affect us at the end of our lives. And my mom, when I was a kid, she always made this ice cream cake for me. She makes the best ice cream cake on the planet. And she always put it in the exact same little dish. So anytime I saw the dish, I was like, it's in there. It's in there, the ice cream cake. I, every birthday, and I, I just have to say this in front of everyone, Mom. It's been a few years. I haven't seen the ice cream cake. <laughs> uh, all I'm doing is signaling the turn. It's August. You got, I'm just giving you a little runway. You got time. Anyway, back in the day, that meant celebration. When I, when I saw that, when I know Mom was in there slaving over the ice cream cake, it's about time to party, right? I love ice cream cake. Listen, I want to take you back to the Garden of Eden for a second. Think about this perfect place and this unbelievable environment that God has created. Now, when we think about the, the attributes of God, we think about, you may think about a whole lot of different attributes of God. When we think about the Garden of Eden, the very first attribute I think about of, of God is God as creator, right? He created everything. Well, next, after creator, I think about the fact that he's the Lord of hosts. You know why I think of that? Because here he's created his kids, right? He's created humanity, and then he's created this unbelievable environment. He's created things for them to eat, things for them to do, right? He's, in, he's invited, uh, they're, they're together. This is the most amazing party you can imagine. The world has never seen a party like that of Eden to this day. And the sad thing is, we all know what, what happened, right? Adam and Eve decided they, they wanted a menu change. And not just a menu change, they wanted to do it their way. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to make decisions. And that's the thing about sin. It always kills the party. See, God has unbelievable plans for you and for us as a church and for every church. A celebration, a life lived deeply and fully, a party. But sin always kills the party. Always. And that's what happened in Eden. It's his desire to share. It was his desire to provide. It was his desire to enjoy his creation. Just think about this. The creator and the Lord of hosts not only created this unbelievable environment and party atmosphere, but he joined them. Every day he came to walk with them and be with them and fellowship with them. And sin ruined the party as it continues to today in our lives. My friend, uh, actually one of those church planners, Clint Patronella, he and I were talking this week, and I was, he's, just, he's just a brilliant guy. And so when I'm kind of thinking through something and I'm praying through a message or whatever, sometimes I'll just text Clint and say, all right, what you got? This is what I'm thinking through. And we were just kind of talking back and forth on text. Clint made this statement, and I just want to repeat it for you. It's a beautiful picture of the Garden of Eden. He said, the fall the fall of man, it was a dinner party gone wrong. And ever since, our God has been heaven-bent on getting the family back to his table. The fall was a dinner party gone wrong. And ever since, our Father has been heaven-bent. He's given everything he can to get his family back to the table. Isn't that beautiful? Our writer that uh, we've been reading through this book, this, The uh, Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard, he defines celebration like this. He says, celebration is one of the most important disciplines of engagement. 
yet most overlooked and misunderstood. It is the completion of worship, for it dwells on the greatness of God as shown in, the goodness, in his goodness to us. We engage in celebration when we enjoy ourselves, our lives, our world, in conjunction with our faith and our confidence in God's beauty, goodness, greatness, and his goodness. We, we engage in celebration when we enjoy ourselves, our life, our world, in conjunction with our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty, and goodness. That's what celebration ought to be. The problem is, and I told you this when we began our life series, this is our last message today in the life series. At the beginning, I told you, I said, there's a danger in learning about spiritual disciplines. The danger is sometimes we start doing spiritual disciplines in our lives and we start going like this. I'm pretty awesome. I don't know if you know it. I, I pray and fast and, uh, you know, I, I serve and I... There's a, there's a tendency sometimes with spiritual disciplines to sort of get a little proud of ourselves and think that we're something, right? That's what this writer, Richard Foster, who's another amazing writer uh, on the disciplines, writes in his book, Celebration of the Disciplines. He says, celebration is central to all spiritual disciplines. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull, death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. See, it seems sometimes like these disciplines are like a list of things we ought to do, maybe even rules. Or, um, but the problem is some of your personalities take lists and you do crazy things with lists. Some of you are looking at each other. You take lists and you're going to live by that list and you're going to live and die, actually, by that list. And that list is so important. It's all, the all-important list, and, right? And the problem is sometimes we, we can't do that. We have to live by the, even the title of that book. It's the spirit of the disciplines. It's, it's to live in such a way that we're honoring God with these disciplines, not that they uh, rule our lives in such a way that we feel like we're better than someone else. We're all in need of grace, and these are to lead us into a deeper, more effective life in Jesus. Well, I'm going to look at a few biblical examples this morning of uh, celebration. I mentioned the first one from the Garden of Eden. There's no question that was a party like none other. We go a little further in Scripture and we get to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus, remember, is a handbook for priests, and it's to help God's people know how to live with a holy God. And so God institutes all these specific sacrifices, uh, ways to do things. And again, God does everything for a reason. Did you know that? Everything in the, in the Word we see is done for a reason. In fact, I would even add this definition of celebration when we celebrate anything, whether it be somebody's birthday or anniversary or, you know, like today, we're really not celebrating anything other than the fact that God is good. It's not our anniversary. We're talking about celebration, so we're kind of celebrating our conversation about celebration. However, that's okay. We've got donuts. It's a good day. We might as well celebrate and worship. Amen. Celebration is also defined this way. When we look back and we're reminded, we remember of all that God has done. And we look forward to all that God is going to do. I don't care what the celebration is. When we celebrate, we stop and we go, man, God has brought us to this point. Or, or when we celebrate our children, my, my little girls were in here just a minute ago, I think they're, at their birthdays, I like to stop a birthday party and go, hey, I, I don't want to just take a moment and say, I, I want to pray in a moment, but I want to just say how proud I am of my little girls, how thankful I am that they love Jesus, how thankful I am that they, they honor him. And I just speak over their lives 
how good he's been, how kind he's been in their lives to give us these kids to this moment. And then I say, and now we're going to pray. Now we've remembered, we've been reminded of how good God has been to this moment, and we're going to pray for every moment from now on. And we pray for our kids. Every celebration is looking back to how good God has been, being reminded of all he's done and how amazing he is to get us to that point. And then looking forward and saying, God, what are you going to do? I'm getting so excited about what you're going to do. Well, that's what he does in, in Scripture. We see in Leviticus chapter 23, he, inst- he instates these uh, festivities, these festivals, these feasts. Now remember, Jesus says, um, it says in Hebrews that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, right? He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So authors do something that's really amazing. Sometimes in their books, they create these, this, this um, system of uh, foreshadowing, right? They do something early on in the book to kind of make you go, huh? And then later on when something happens, you go, oh, I remember when they kind of alluded to that. Remember that? Foreshadowing. God is a great author, and he's foreshadowed so many things in prophecy and other things. These festivities, these festivals, these feasts are all doing what I said. They're looking back at what God has done, and they're looking forward to what God might do and will do. Okay? And so I'm going to just kind of go over these quickly. These are some of the festivals and celebrations in Leviticus chapter 23. The first one is Passover. We remember Passover, right? It's when in Egypt... Uh, the Jews were slaves in Egypt, and Moses is there trying to convince Pharaoh to let his people go, and they won't, and finally, God drops the hammer plague on them, right? And he says, this is it. He says, if you're a Jew, take an unblemished lamb, sacrifice that lamb, and put the blood of that lamb over your doorpost, because the death angel is going to come, and as it comes, if it sees the blood of the lamb over your doorpost, it'll pass over your home." And you won't have to lose a child tonight. Remember that story? And so the Jews did that, but Pharaoh didn't because he didn't believe, right? And so he lost a son. And in losing that son, he ultimately chooses to let God's people go. Well, the Jews every year since have celebrated Passover. But what's so interesting is it's not just looking back to what God has done, but it was looking forward to what God would do. You know why? Because Jesus, now listen, the author, he's writing this amazing story. At Passover, Jesus died for your sins. Do you see a connection? You see, he was the perfect unblemished lamb. They didn't put blood on their doorposts. Instead, we today even, we say, God, can you please apply your blood over my life so that I don't have to die an eternal death that I can have life and life more abundantly. Do you see the connection and the beauty that we have an author who not only remembered, he helps us remember what he's done, right, in Egypt, but he helps us to see and know what God has done through Jesus at Passover. Here's some other festivals and uh, feasts. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a time of preparation for Israel and also a foreshadowing of Jesus' sinless life. The, the Feast of First Fruits, God, everything we have is yours. We're going to give you some of this. And, and Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits of uh, resurrection when he's raised uh, from the dead. The Feast of Harvest or Pentecost. This is a time where um, originally celebrated at the, at the base of Mount Sinai 50 days after 
uh, the, the Exodus, and it's also a celebration of harvest. How interesting that, and, and not a coincidence, by the way, that at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to the New Testament church and he harvests souls, doesn't he? How many did he harvest that day? 3,000 on Pentecost. Not a coincidence. God is helping us see that he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And he's, he's these celebrations reminding us of what he's done and showing us what he's also doing and what's coming. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets. This feast was to signify that when the trumpet blows, people are to drop their work and go worship. One day a trumpet will blow. And we will drop our work here on earth. And we will be called to heaven to worship. It's what he's done and what he will do. The Feast of Atonement. This is a big one. This is when the high priest, I imagine his whole body was shaken. Because on his shoulders he carried a sacrifice and there was a rope tied around his foot because he was going to walk into the Holy of Holies where he would meet with God. And if he were to die in the Holy of Holies, and it happened, there was a rope around his foot so they could pull his body out. But his job was to go into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice for his sins and the sins of the nation. He would atone for their sins. He would make this sacrifice. Does that sound like anything to you? Because Jesus is our high priest, and he makes atonement for us, but not with another sacrifice. He does it with his own body and blood. He pays the price. He forgives our sins if we choose for him too. And then lastly, the Feast of Tabernacles, celebration of remembering how God provided through the wilderness, and they slept in tents, and they even created a tabernacle of a tent for God. And it's a reminder of what God's going to do in the millennial reign in Revelation 20, what he's done and what he's going to do. There's so many biblical examples. Let's look at a few more. I'm going to fly through these. And then I've given you on your card. You can write down some of these if you want. Exodus 15, Moses' sister, Miriam, they come across the Red Sea. They're, can you just imagine God's people like running and hoping that Pharaoh and his army can't catch, catch up and all of a sudden the walls of water crash down on the army. And as their soldiers floating away, Miriam grabs, <laughs> you read it, she grabs a uh, tambourine. She starts dancing and she starts throwing a party and it says she leads the women of Israel out to party and sing, God, how faithful you've been, the horse and rider you've thrown into the sea. That's what Miriam does. She begins to celebrate the goodness of God. Deborah, one of the judges in Judges 5, they win a great victory, and she begins to lead the nation in singing and worship. David begins to dance. Remember this story? Before the ark in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, what's interesting, if you read a little before that, we see David. David was a little nervous about the ark, which he should have been. And so what he did is he parks the ark at somebody else's house for three months just to see how's that going to go over there because somebody had touched it and they died. So he parks at somebody else's house for a while outside of the city and he begins to see this family incredibly blessed. And David's like, we need that in Jerusalem. We need that in, in, in the city of David. So he goes and gets in faith, brings the priests. They do it right. They bring the ark into the city of David and David's going crazy. He's dancing. Even in, an, he says, even in an undignified way. I'm just dancing. 
I'm not worried about anything or anybody. I'm going to worship and I'm going to celebrate that this is going to be God's goodness to us. We see him celebrate and it's good. It's good. Nehemiah, he reinstates, he builds the wall and, and even more than the wall, he reinstates the nation of Israel and he reinstates the reading of God's word for the nation. And people are hungry for it. They just, they can't wait to hear it. Read it all day. They built a platform for them to read it. Just read us the word. And they partied. They celebrated because they had a chance as a nation of Israel, again, to hear the beautiful word of God. Jews realized they weren't going to die in the book of Esther in the ninth chapter. They're not going to die now. They, they, can, they are going to live. They're going to be rescued. And they throw a party. And then we see, we read it this morning. One of the many psalms in Scripture that, that speaks of celebration. And can I bring your attention to a few things in this psalm that we read this morning, Psalm 150? This is not a quiet psalm. Right? Verse 5, praise him with the sounding cymbals. Praise him with the loud, crashing cymbals. God is honored sometimes in volume, in excitement, in joy, in exuberance. That's celebration. It's a good thing. Scripture speaks of clapping our hands, of shouting with a voice of triumph unto the Lord. Scripture speaks of loving God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And when we do that, it's going to be loud sometimes. We're going to move sometimes. We're going to be animated because Christ has given us all of our lives, all that we would need Solomon speaks of celebrations in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, right? Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. For everything there is a season, for a time, for every matter under heaven. Verse 4, he says, time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Solomon is saying, all of these are appropriate in the right time. Sometimes you, you might just need to wail and cry out and pour your heart out to God. It's appropriate. And sometimes you just need to mourn. Sometimes you need to laugh. laugh. Laughter is good for your soul, Scripture says. It does your heart good like a medicine, Proverbs says. Sometimes we need to dance. Because dancing shows that, God, you've got everything I've got. And there are appropriate ways to honor God in all of these things. There's a time for all these things. It says in uh, chapter 9 in Ecclesiastes, verse 7, go eat your bread with joy. Now, I love bread, so I, I get that verse. You know what I'm saying? Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. We can rejoice. We can have joy. We can celebrate. God is honored in it. What about when we move over to the New Testament? You see, there was silence from the Old Testament to the New Testament, 400 years from Malachi to Matthew. And in the dead of night, God chooses to speak finally 400 years later. The cry of a baby boy rings out through the midnight, and it's not just the baby boy, is it? It's the Messiah. It's our Savior. It's Jesus. But it's not just the cry of a baby, is it? Luke 2 says that the very sky splits open. <laughs> just, just try to go here with your mind. The very sky splits open. 
hundreds, thousands, millions, I don't know, angels singing in a choir, in a chorus, glory to God in the highest, and peace and goodwill to all men. See, the angels could see what this meant. We didn't have a clue. But the angels knew this means salvation to you folks, to you sitting here. His birth that morning meant salvation for us. And the angels knew it and they could sing of all that God was going to bring and do through that baby boy. He broke the silence that night and there was a party in heaven, right? What about Jesus' first miracle? I mean, this, is gonna, this seems to be important. It's the first time that he's going to do something that's miraculous. He goes to a wedding with his mom. And it's an interesting read when you read through this uh, text. It's almost like Mary's kind of like, they've run out of wine. He, they run out of wine. And Jesus is kind of like, okay. you know, It's this really interesting read. Almost like he wasn't quite ready, but like mom's saying they run out of wine. I need, okay, so <laughs> he creates his first miracle. He tells the servants to bring these big jars of water. And they set the jars of water in the back room, and, and they said when they were to take the water out to put it in the glass, it was wine. He turns the water into wine, and so then they take the wine to the host of the party. Right? I love this. And the host drinks the wine. He goes, hang on a second. Why have you been hanging on to the best wine I've ever tasted in my life till now? You always serve the best wine at the beginning of the party, not at the end. Jesus creates amazing wine, amazing things. He turns water into wine. And it's, it's almost a value to us. When you celebrate, man, do it at a great level. Be excellent in what you do because excellence honors God. When you party, when you eat dinners, when you have fun, make it amazing. This past Friday night, our staff got together at Pastor Daryl's house, and we had some chili. It was awesome. And we got to fellowship together, and Miss Sue made a, a, a carrot cake, and uh, it was wonderful, right? It was excellent, and we loved on each other. We got to do s'mores in the backyard at a bonfire. It was it was a great night, and we celebrated what God has done in us and what God is going to do. It was a good night. Jesus uh, was never accused of being boring. Never. I love the story of the children around Jesus. And if, many of you know this. If you're going to um, entertain children, you can't be boring, right? You've got to be animated. You've got to smile. You've got to draw them in. You've got to mess with them play with them. And when you do, they want to be around you. And you know what the story says? They wanted to be around Jesus. His disciples said, oh, no, no, stay away. And Jesus is like, no, man, let them come to me. Come on. Come on, kids. He was fun. In fact, he was so much fun, I kind of think he was the life at the party. Matthew eleven nineteen 19 says that he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Our sinless Savior was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Why? Because he was the life of the party. He was in the middle of the mix-up. And he was loving people and yet not being drawn into the sinfulness of it. It's possible. And he did it. He did it. Maybe we should think about that ourselves. 
he shares this uh, story of a beautiful party. And before we get there, I want to mention a couple other things. In Luke 15, I love that chapter. Jesus is going to give us three parables. He gives us the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And at the end of the story of the lost coin, he tells us about a party. He says, when one sinner repents, and we know what repents means, right? That means when you change your ways from your ways to God's ways. And you mean it. You, you change. You really change. When, when that happens, it says, when one sinner does that, the angels in heaven rejoice. There's a party going on in heaven when one, even one sinner repents. Isn't that beautiful? Do you think that's true? Of course it's true. Jesus says it's true. When one of us repents, there's a party. And right after he mentions that party and one sinner, he tells us such a beautiful story of something else that's lost, the lost son. We, we refer to it mostly as the prodigal son. It's a story of a young man who's not very grateful. He's a rebel. And he tells his father, you know what? I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Just give me what you owe me, my inheritance. Give me that. I'm going to go on my own way, and I'm going to do my own thing, which is kind of the definition of sin. And we will always get lost when we leave the Father's direction and go our own way. And that's what he does. He, he goes his own direction. He spends his Father's money. He does bad things in bad places. He finds himself in a pig trough. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have ever been around pigs, they are nasty animals. They're disgusting. And they bring, the food that they eat, they call it slop, right? Just imagine the most disgusting thing in the world around these pigs, and yet that's all he has to eat. He's face down in that, in that trough, in that slop of these pigs, and he's trying to eat the, the pods of corn that the pigs have because it's all he has. And when the pods, Scripture says, when the pods run out, all of a sudden he realizes where he is. Here's just a side note. What are the pods in your life that need to run out so that you come to your senses? See, as long as we have the pods, as long as we have the things feeding our addictions and our sinfulness, we may just stay and keep, keep going that direction. But if they'll run out, we might say, what am I doing? Where am I at right now? Because he came to his senses and he realized, hey, at my father's house, the servants have better food than this. The servants have clothes to wear. And I, I bet if I just go home and I ask, God, ask my father to forgive me, then maybe he'll give me some clothes and maybe I can eat and I can be a servant. And that's where we come into the story here at Luke 15, verse 20. We're going to put it on the screen for you. It says, but while he was still a long way off, the son, he's still a long way off. His father saw him and he felt compassion. Listen, God is waiting on you to turn your life around, come to your senses and begin his way. He's just waiting. He's just waiting. He saw him and he felt compassion and he ran. God ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, don't you just, I just sense the son's got his speech prepared. He's got his speech prepared. And his son says to him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And, and he gets interrupted. The father interrupts him in that moment. And the father says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Listen, God wants to cover our nakedness. He wants to cover the things we've lost with his righteousness, his righteous robe. He wants to cover your life. He said, bring, bring the best robe and put it on him. And then he says, put a ring on his hand. I want, think about that for a second. You see, ring signified identity. And the father, maybe he was a king, maybe he's a ruler, maybe he's just a leader of that tribe or clan or home. He had some type of ring that said so. So he could put his ring in wax or some other way, and you'd know, well, that's what, that's what the father, the king, the leader meant to do. Well, the father slips off his ring, and he puts it on his son's hand, and he says, son, you forgot who you are. You've forgotten who you are. When you went and did all that stuff, you didn't represent my family. You didn't represent me. You've forgotten who you are. So take my ring. And he puts it on his hand and he says, this is who you are. God wants to give us our true identity when we come home. And then he says he puts shoes on his feet. God not only covers us in his righteousness, he not only reminds us of who we really are, but he gives comfort to our lives. You can imagine how far and how long this child has walked without shoes and how hard it is to even walk. And he brings him shoes to comfort his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. Forgiveness always requires a sacrifice. And let's eat it and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You see, the older brother, he missed something. He wasn't the prodigal son. Oh, he was the perfect son. Right? He wasn't the prodigal. He was the perfect son. Here's the truth, though. We all need grace. And you probably identify with one of these two sons. I've run away. I went my direction. I wanted to do it my way. I wanted things my way. I wanted to do whatever I wanted, and I know where it landed me. It almost destroyed my life, which is what sin will always do. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to bring you life. Sin will always destroy your life. And many of us identify with that prodigal. I definitely do. Many of you may identify with this other brother. 
with his arms crossed and his gaze down his nose. Oh, I didn't do that. I'm, I've never left. I've really never done anything. In fact, I deserve what I've got. I've worked for it. Listen, friends, they're both sinful sons. They both need grace. They both need the love of the Father. The Father's saying, you've been here all along. Everything I have is yours. You could have done a party anytime you wanted. Who do you identify with this morning? See, Jesus in these parables was trying to show us what the Father is like. In all these parables, show us what the Father is like. And here's what the Father's like. He's searching and seeking for that which is lost. He wants to bring it home. He wants to find it. He has compassion when we head back towards him. He meets us. He runs after us. He's watching for us. He wants to celebrate every repentant heart. Every heart that changes, he wants to celebrate and bless. It's God's desire to party. It's God's desire to throw a party in heaven. It's God's desire for us to celebrate when we surrender. Which brother are you this morning? Because we both need grace. You know, those of us who know God's grace, I think we can fully uh, celebrate. When we truly know God's grace, we can celebrate. Because in my mind, I know that this breath I just breathed and this heartbeat that's just gone in my heart, it's only happened because of the grace of Jesus. I don't deserve it. And tomorrow, if I'm standing, it'll be because of the grace of Jesus and no other reason. And the next day, it'll be because of the grace of Jesus. And so we can celebrate every moment. We can celebrate every breath. We can celebrate what God is doing in us. Today, we celebrate what God's done. That video is to show kind of what God's done in the last year of our church. He's done amazing things. We've added 48 new partners in 13 months. Praise God. God has done that. God has done that. There's so many things I could just go down a list. Only God has done that. He has been so faithful to us as a church, and we celebrate that faithfulness today. Next week, we're going to have an amazing Thanksgiving feast. I hope you can come. Uh, It's going to be great, and we will celebrate God's faithfulness to us as a church. But before we eat turkey (laughs) and dressing, and it'll be wonderful, we're going to eat something else here in this service next week. We're going to take communion together. And we're going to come back to that table that the Father has wanted his family back to since the fall. Since the dinner party was ruined by sin and he was able to redeem us and bring us back to his table, we will remember. You see, in the Old Testament, celebrations were festivities and feasts and festivals. In the New Testament, the church celebrates through baptisms, through the Lord's Supper, and next week we're going to get to celebrate through the Lord's Supper together. hope you'll come and do that with us, and we will proclaim, just as Jesus said, every time you do this, you proclaim my death. We will tell of the story of our redemption. So some of you are asking as we close this morning, how is this a discipline? Celebration doesn't seem like a discipline. I get how prayer is a discipline or fasting or something else, but how is celebration a discipline? Do you celebrate? Do you take time to smile? Do you take time to laugh? 
Do you take time to, to enjoy your family and friends and the grace God has in your life? Do you do that? Do we do it as a church? Because I would submit to you that I don't think we do it very well. We can get better at celebration. What are the things you should celebrate? Well, listen, weddings and anniversaries, absolutely. What has God done? What will he do? Births and birthdays. My wife and I struggled for almost nine years with infertility. I want you to know when, that, when Daisy came out to the world, there was a celebration. My heart exploded. We had waited. We had prayed. We had sought the Lord. We didn't understand his timing, but his timing was perfect. We celebrated. Birthdays, graduations. Many of you know I graduated with a degree last year, and it had taken me, I didn't, didn't take this long, but it was a 25-year gap from when I started to try to finish. Nobody in my class was going to walk for their diploma. I, there was nobody with me. And so I just told Lori, I don't, it's no big deal. I'm, I'm going to let them mail the thing to me. It's no, no big deal. And then I started thinking about my kids. And I thought, you know what? It doesn't mean, it's not a big deal for me to walk, I don't think, but I want to show those girls that it's never too late to go after a dream. It's never too late to work hard to try and achieve something. And when I walk across that stage, I'm going to grab the diploma and I'm going to find those girls. I'm going to say, you can do this. It, became, it was something that wasn't about me on that moment. It was about my kids. It was about the lesson they could learn. We need to celebrate. Family gatherings, you ought, to, you ought to laugh so hard. You ought to play so hard. You ought, to, you ought to remember those days with such joy in your heart. I know that we do in many of our family gatherings. What about funerals? It's appropriate to weep and to mourn. It's also appropriate to celebrate. Lori's grandmother, we called her Granny. She was such a godly woman. In the last few years of her life, every time we would be around her, before we would leave, she would say, and she would do it just like this. She'd go, well, if I don't see you, I'll see you in heaven. And she meant it. She wasn't trying to be like silly. She meant it. And so for the last few years, we're like, right, Granny, we'll see you in heaven. Okay. It's kind of, she just kept saying it over and over. Well, at her funeral, Lori's brother preached the funeral. He talked about how Granny was in heaven. We all knew it. There was no question. It was one of the most celebratory funerals I've ever been to because we knew Granny was celebrating with Jesus. It was beautiful. It was a celebration. Listen, even if your celebration's not attached to something significant, something memorable, something accomplished, you're alive. You're breathing in the grace and mercy of Jesus. What you do with those moments is up to you. But it's worthy of a celebration. Job reminds us that even good moments and bad are worthy of celebration. You remember what happened in the first part of his test? He went through a lot of tests. But the very first part of his test, he's mourning and he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, Job wasn't horizontal in his perspective. He didn't just look around the world and that his happiness or his significance or any of those things depend on what happened here because the Lord gives and takes away here. He gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My identity, my hope, my strength, everything that is important in my life, everything I am is based on that perspective, not this one, right? Here's the last thing I'll say and we're going to go. It's my heart and desire that South City Church be a place 
where this community, this city, knows that we want to celebrate who God is and what God's doing. I do. I want people to go, oh, South City, you guys throw some good parties. You guys throw some good parties. Larry was telling me about a gentleman recently said, oh, yeah, you guys are really opening up to the community, man. Way to go. And I went, yes. That's what we want the community to begin to see. We want to serve the community. We want to love people. I'm reminded of this story in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 43. It says this. They had gotten back into the, to the city, and this was now time to celebrate. And the way he celebrates is he brings two choirs up onto the wall, and he sends choirs in either direction, and family members and leaders, and they're about to just celebrate, right? They're about to make some noise, and this is what he says. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Can you imagine if that could be the case for South City? The joy of Jesus was heard all over central Arkansas by the way they celebrated. By the way they celebrated people in need, by the way they celebrated each other, by the way they celebrated the love of Jesus. The city can know who he is and that we love him. And then lastly, I'll just say this before we close. See, God has instituted, this whole series is about the fact that God has a perfect life for you. I say perfect, it's kind of a strange term, but what I mean is the very best life you can live on this planet is the one God has designed for you. It's the one he's designed. It's not the one that you think would work. Trust me, that'll end up in the pig pen. God has designed an amazing plan for your life. And when we walk in these disciplines, it helps us to know him more. It helps us to love him more. It helps us to experience that life in a more full way. God has designed us to have rest. He's designed us to celebrate. God's not just some taskmaster. He wants us to know that he created pleasure. He created joy. He created parties and celebration. And we're so afraid of them because we've so skewed the truth of where they came from. But they came from him. And if we will live within him and, and the way he calls us to live and honor him, we can know that joy, that pleasure. Let me ask you this question this morning. We're going to go. Do you have life in Jesus? It's been the title of our series, Life. Or do you have something that you've sort of put together and you just want to add church here and there, add a group here and there? I might do a Bible study here. I might read something on a case. Or do you have a life in Jesus? Because occasional church attendance is, is not a life in Jesus. Do you have life in him? In fact, I would ask this question this morning. Do you know him? Which brother are you? The lost brother? The perfect brother? And where do you stand with Jesus today? I want to pray for us. We're going to be up here just for a moment as Daryl and the team come. He's just going to play for a little bit, and we're going to be here. And I just want to say, listen, some of you, some of you need to turn around. 
Some of you may need to say, you know what, I need to get serious about this life that I'm living. It's been my life instead of the life he wants me to live in him. And maybe you need somebody to pray with about that. We want to be here to pray with you if you have need for that. When one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. You can just see the angels looking over the gates of heaven, waiting for a party today. Oh, I hope somebody, I hope somebody changes. I hope somebody finally makes the decision to trust the Father and to live the life that he has prepared and designed for them. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We haven't done this in the series, but I just want to ask today, if, if there's anybody in this place this morning, you just say, you know what, I don't know if I've ever trusted Jesus to be my Savior. If I were to die today, I don't know that I would even go to heaven. I just don't know. I just want to pray for you. If that's the truth of your soul, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? I'm not going to call you out. Would you just say, hey, I'm not sure. Thanks. Thanks for being honest. A couple of people being honest today. Anybody else? I'm just not sure. Pray for me. Thank you. Anyone else? I just don't know. Anybody else? Okay, put your hands down. Some of you are standing here today or sitting here and you're thinking, you know what? Yeah, I've been living a life. I've been living my life. I've been going my way. I've been choosing my way. I've been doing my thing. But I want the best life. I don't want a life. I want the best life. And I need Jesus to meet me as I turn around and come home. I want him to run to me. And I want him to cover me in his robe of righteousness and put his ring of identity in my life and bring me the comfort that only he can bring. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand and say, I just want to come back home. I'm a son, but I've forgotten that I'm a son. I'm a daughter, and I've forgotten that I'm a daughter. I want to come back home. Anybody else? Okay. Let's pray this morning. Father God, you're so good. Lord Jesus, you see these hands and these honest hearts, hearts that need you. God, you have designed the life you want us to live. And it's the greatest life we could live. Would you help us to transform our minds to understand that and believe that and to invest in that? And God, for many of us, even today, we need to run back home to you. For those that have raised their hands and said, I want to know you as my Savior, would you give them the courage to come talk to somebody about that? For those that have raised their hands and said, I'm away from home and I want to come home because I've been living my own life, my own way. Would you give them the courage to do that as well? Lord, this is your church and this is your time. We give it to you. Would you move among a spirit of the living God? Change hearts. May there be a celebration in heaven because repentance will take place even in this moment. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.